Hey, .NET Rocks listeners. So you never went to NDC. I get that. It's Norway. It's Oslo. But did you know that the videos for all the sessions are online? Yeah, go to vimeo.com slash ndcoslo. You'll see some amazing sessions, and they're all right there. And if you're really curious, you can check out the lineup for NDC 2014, which is happening June 2nd through 6th. ndcoslo.com is the website, but again, if you want to check out the videos, vimeo.com, that's V-I-M-E-O dot com slash ndcoslo. Richard and I will be there this year. Maybe we'll see you too. .NET Rocks episode 983 with guest Hugh Griffin. Recorded Monday, April 12th, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're geeking out about coffee today. How are you, Mr. Campbell? I'm excited. This is going to be a fun Geek Out episode. It's always good stuff. It is good stuff. I got a cup of it right here. And before we get into that, uh, is somebody talking to us today? Well, we always get a ton of comments off of Geek Out episodes. And the, and certainly no exception here, too. I grabbed a comment off of show 960, which is our last Geek Out, the one we did on nuclear accidents. Right. And... You know, that was not an easy show for me to make, and, you know, we battled a long time about this sort of stuff, but I really, I don't know, we get a lot of good comments about stuff anyway, don't we? Sure do, yeah. This particular one was very, I mean, there's always a few corrections, like I messed up the number of neutrons in Trinium again, but most part folks were just thanking us for being very uh, non-hyped, just talking about the facts of what happened around these nuclear accidents. Right. Uh, and then th- there's a ton of comments, including a bunch of them asking things like, uh, what about Bikini Atoll? Right. Which, Which and I was going to dig into that because I'm very aware of everything that happened to Bikini Atoll, but I think I could save that for a nuclear weapon show. Okay. First of all, there is no conspiracy to cover anything up. I mean, Richard's Canadian, so he has no reason to do that anyway. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it was just something we didn't get to. That's all. Yeah. But we'll get there. And um, let me read this particular comment. This is from Brendan Parker, who says, uh, radiation aside, I think eating 80 million of just about any fruit would kill you. Would kill you. That's right. <laughs> we're talking about talking bananas. About the, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the potassium in bananas is radioactive. Right. It's just sort of setting the stage for, you know, the reality is radiation is all around us. And in fact, our bodies are well adapted to repairing damage from radiation. Sure. It's just a question of how much. But Brendan's comment goes on to something that, that amuses the heck out of me. I remember hearing about a high school science fair experiment where a student watered plants using water heated from a microwave. The control group was using unmicrowaved water. Once microwaved, the water was allowed to cool to room temperature. Supposedly, the microwave water yielded less than healthy plants, while the unmicrowaved water yielded better looking plants. This made me hesitant to use my microwave. But after listening to the podcast, I was motivated to look a little deeper, and a quick Google search confirmed that the above story is false. Hmm. Yes. Go to Snopes, Snopes.com, and debunk these crazy, crazy stories. Okay. So thanks for the show. It brought back some confidence in my microwave. Yeah. And I'd forgotten, we did a whole chunk about different kinds of radiation and, the, you know, the fact that microwave radiation is non-ionizing, da-da-da-da-da-da. So, yeah, interesting that Brendan grabbed onto that particular piece of it. Right. So, Brendan, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or in any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And so for this show, we thought we would bring in a coffee expert. Well, at least a guy who spends his whole day in a coffee shop that he owns and uh, also brews coffee and uh, roast beans and all that. So Hugh Griffin is an avid gardener, orchidist, luthier, sometimes sailor, and full-time coffee guy. He's owner of Bean and Leaf, a small-town coffee shop and roasting operation. But before being a coffee mogul, he was a telecom engineer and project manager with Nortel Networks for 11 years. Before that, he was owner of HMG Builders. Hugh is married with three wonderful progeny. Welcome to the show, Hugh. Hey, how you doing, Carl? Hey, Richard. For the record, 
I don't drink coffee. Well, okay, but you know a lot about coffee and tea and the history thereof, but uh, maybe you'll learn something here, Richard. I hope so. Now, Hugh, um, I have frequented your operation, Bean and Leaf, in uh, New London, Connecticut, many times, and have smelled the the roasting coffee there, and it's a, a wonderful thing to have a roasting operation in your hometown. First of all, just tell me, what did you go into this because you love coffee or because you saw a business opportunity? How did you get involved in, you know, what made you think about opening a coffee shop? Uh, we started Bean and Leaf basically because we couldn't get good coffee. That's that's the <laughs> bottom line. Uh, when I was in telecom, I used to travel all over the country. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of places where you can get very good coffee. And there's deserts where you can get no good coffee. And it turned out that uh, Southeast Connecticut was one of these deserts. Yeah. So that's basically how we got into it. We started roasting uh, in our homes using small um, tabletop roasters. And uh, at some point we decided, well, geez, we've got to bring this out to the world. Now, the Northeast is uh, awash with um – and let's not name any names here, but uh, there are lots of franchise coffee places, drive-through places that, you know, that that have a lot of turnover and stuff. And what can you tell us about the coffee that they serve that had you thumb your nose at them? Well, it's kind of a, a bleak <laughs> coffee. Uh there's there's a lot of things in their coffee that you probably wouldn't want to consume if you actually were able to go through their chain of uh, supply. Um, you know, coffee is the second most traded commodity on the planet. Mm -hmm. And every bit of it gets sold. It's a commodity. And uh, I'll give you a little aside here. Okay. Um, one of our employees uh, was a con college student, and he worked on a, on a coffee plantation one summer down in Panama. And uh, he documented his experience down there pretty thoroughly. And one day we were sitting in the coffee shop watching the slides of his, uh, his tenure on the coffee plantation. And uh, he had these pictures of these guys raking up this black substance underneath the coffee trees. And, uh, you know, we sort of quite queried him about that. And uh, he said, well, just watch the slides. And you see these guys rake up this coffee. It was basically coffee debris throw it in a wheelbarrow, and take it and dump it in this concrete pit where they proceeded to blast it off with hoses. And uh, this stuff ended up getting dried and sold. And it had black mold, and it was uh, pretty nasty stuff. Well, unfortunately, that coffee finds its way into some of the, the, the lesser-priced coffees out there. And when you take a big chain, you know, they're all about making money. So, you know, they may buy some good coffee so they can show people, look, we, we bought this good coffee, but they what they tend to do is blend it. So you end up with really bad coffee mixed in with mediocre coffee, and you end up with something that you probably shouldn't be consuming. Well, now, when you say the stuff that's underneath the trees, uh, it comes down to beans. I mean, right. nobody They've opens a bag of coffee beans and find sticks. And, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And yeah, they obviously blast off all the debris, yeah. ending up with these moldy beans, and then they dry them with everything else. That gets, you know, it's obviously separated. Got it. Got, all coffee's graded, and their conscience uh, dictates, you know, what they're going to put in their coffee. So are there any laws that dictate what they're going to put in their coffee? Or is it all conscience? It's all. It's pretty much all conscience. I, you know, it's like the FDA goes out and inspects meat. Well, you've heard all the horror stories of some of these meat plants they go in. And, you know, if, if the public saw what was going on, they certainly wouldn't be consuming meat the way they do. Well, and if it weren't for Upton Sinclair, we probably wouldn't have exactly. the FDA. Exactly. FDA, yeah. Exactly. So um, the, the one thing that should key you in on what's going on here is the amount of advertising a place does. Advertising, as you probably know, is very expensive. Mm -hmm. So if a place is able to do a large amount of advertising, they've got to get that money someplace. Mm. Guess where that might be coming from? Yeah, okay. You buy cheaper coffee, you got more money for marketing. Absolutely. And you need more marketing because your coffee may not be that great. <laughs> right. And then, and then there's another issue, um, styrofoam cups. 
Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it up to uh, the listener to go out and do the research. It's on the National Institutes of Health. But uh, styrene is, is a neurotoxin. And when you uh, put a warm liquid in a styrofoam cup, invariably it's going to leach into the liquid. And guess where that goes? So I had heard about this, but um, every and and I try to avoid them if at all possible. But uh, are, is there any hard numbers about how many cups of coffee in styrofoam, you know, per week or per year we can our bodies can tolerate before we can before we're going to get sick from them? That information is on the National Institutes of Health website in in the report on styrene. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you right okay. off the top of my head what it is. I just say avoid it. All right, yeah, better to avoid it. Uh, what's this? There, what? Tell me about Prop sixty five. Do you know about this? I, I do. Uh, the the Californian prop proposition trying to keep toxic substances out of out of food. Right, like acrylamide. A- I- acrylamide is uh, the one that's come up in relation to coffee, and it's it's generally uh, a byproduct of the uh, Malliard uh, uh, process. Mm-hmm. Where you're browning, you know, meats, uh, coffee is obviously browned. Mm-hmm. You know, any anything that has browning on it is so like grilled meat, for example. Ex- has, exactly. Yeah. So you know, obviously, anything like this, there, there's a lot of things that we consume that uh, probably, you know, if you take it down to uh, a certain degree, it, it's going to look bad on paper. But in reality, you can look at the studies that have been done on coffee, uh, one of the most recent ones by Harvard, mm-hmm. and they're all showing no correlation between drinking coffee and uh, ill health effects. Okay. In so, fact, there's a lot of research to the, to the, to the opposite, isn't there? Ab- absolutely true. There are many uh, benefits to drinking coffee, which, you know, you've got to take this stuff with a grain of salt. Sure. Do you enjoy drinking coffee? Well, hell yeah. Go find some good <laughs> coffee and drink it. Speaking That's, of good coffee, you brought over a bag of, uh, what is this we're drinking? Honduras? Honduras, yes. And when you see that Honduras, that means it comes from Honduras? It comes from Honduras. It's a single origin coffee. And uh, I don't know what you know about Honduras. You probably wouldn't want to go down there and get it yourself. It's no. one of the most dangerous places on the planet. Right. But uh, tell me, how, what do you think about the coffee? Well, let me take a sip here. And I'll tell you. Ah, yeah, that's good. Mm, it's good. Now, am I supporting uh, warring factions when I buy this coffee? No, you're supporting some very small farms. And, uh, you know, there are people that are out there. You know, it's a hard scrabble life uh, raising coffee, and mm-hmm. they've got a lot to contend with. And uh, we try to source only organic fair trade coffees. Now, what does that mean, fair trade? Fair, this is another thing that uh, I see all the time. Fair, fair trade is making sure that the producer of the coffee is getting compensated adequately for their efforts. Okay. So it means that it might be a little more expensive, but uh, you're, you're paying them what they need to survive. Exactly so. Okay. Not that farming's ever a particularly easy life. No. No. But especially when you talk about developing countries like Honduras – it can get absolutely brutal. The, you get your distributors sort of controlling these small farmers where they don't have a sustainable life. Exactly. I read something about uh, avocados being uh, a wash in conflict in Mexico, where most avocados come from, and uh, just all sorts of crime and terrible things happen with warring factions and uh, – you know, mafia-like influence uh, over avocado. So there are no conflict-free avocados. But uh, I think, and I, I heard about this on Freakonomics, actually, but um, that doesn't mean we should stop enjoying avocados. I mean, the Mexican government needs to deal with how they are brought to market. Uh, but, you know, they are brought to market. But I don't know. That's another show. It- but I think it, this ties in nicely to the coffee thing because what is it? What is really going on to make sure you have sort of fair trade coffee? How do you know mm. besides the stamp? Like what's what's the process? Well, that there there are people in the field that verify this, right? 
So, I mean, this is part of the expense, right, is actually sending people to these countries and into these environments to make sure stuff's done properly. Ab- absolutely. And there's a chain of custody. So, you know, there's there's really no chance within that chain for inferior or non-fair trade or any other type of coffee to be slipped in. It's It's got a chain of custody. Oh, interesting. Mm. I mean, that, that's a legal term, right? Control, where, where you're controlling evidence. You have to actually have a chain of custody, keep control of that. They're doing the same thing to coffee? For, for the, the graded coffee like that that's, that's got the stamps, yes. Hmm. And, and going all the way back to that first comment about, you know, the, the dregs coffee that they make, does fair trade coffee sort of protect you from diff- bad grades of coffee too? Um, that's generally not part of it. Um, the, the organic would be more in, in that realm, but right quality, right. But that doesn't, you know, organic means obviously what it means. It's, it's under very controlled, uh, growing conditions and that, but that by itself doesn't mean you're going to get excellent coffee. Sure. I mean, I can imagine, you know, the times are hard and, uh, a family farm is running out of coffee at the end of the season and they, have to uh, sell some more to make ends meet. So right. they're, they're and what, doing the same. And, and what happens is when they go in and they do their picking, what, what you ideally want when you pick coffee is nice, ripe, red coffee cherries. And a lot of times these farmers get in a tight situation. They have to get this stuff to market. So they start pulling underripe cherries, which really negatively influences the flavor of coffee. Hmm. So that's that's why it behooves the, the coffee roaster to do a, a great deal of uh, pre-testing of the coffee. Um, our, our coffee supplier sends us samples of all the coffees that they have available. And we roast micro lots of those coffees and... Uh, we we basically make sure that it's going to satisfy our customers. So you get your cherries raw? No, no, no. It's the it's the processed coffee. However, maybe natural or you know the, the various ways that it's delivered. We get the dried beans. Got they, it. they they'll send us say uh, a six ounce package of each type of coffee. Mm. We'll put that in our little micro roaster and roast it up, and then we'll do a tasting and make sure that uh, all the flavor notes are there. Make sure there's nothing that. But uh, you'd be able to see if when with the dried beans whether they're whether they're raw or are underripe. Um, it's, it's difficult to tell whether they're underripe just by looking at them because mm. the, the beans, usually nice fresh beans are all relatively, they've, they've got a green tint to them. Got it. If they've, if they've gone a little bit yellow, that means it's like older. Mm. So they all sort of, you know, if you're buying high end coffee, you know, right. You, it's all going to look very, very similar. The, the grading is the only thing that can change. You can buy different grades of of fair grade organic coffee. Mm. Uh, and what that'll end up giving you is coffee that has um, different size beans, which affects the way that you roast it. Mm. Obviously, when you roast something, you want it all of a consistent size. Otherwise, it won't roast at the same rate. You know, it's things like that. You just have to watch all the, the various elements of that when you're purchasing and when you're roasting. I just want to do a little background here. So these are are low growing plants. They're not trees, right? Uh, they're they're a, more like a shrub. Okay, and they produce a red berry. Yes, and then these berries, once presumably in the ideal case, they're completely ripe. They're picked, and then and then they the seed is pulled out of them and dried. Uh, there's there's a couple ways it's done. There's a natural process where they leave the 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 pulped flesh on the seeds and let them dry. And that's that's a natural process. And what that allows it to do is pick up more of the rustic flavors that are in that pulp. Okay. And, and then there's washed, where they actually wash the pulp off immediately when they, they process the cherries. And that'll be a little less, more of a clean cup. What do those fruits taste like? It, it's, it's really the terroir. It's where they're grown. There's there's various notes that come in from the region that it's grown in, and you can get chocolates, and you can get peach flavors, and tobacco, and it, it, even leather. I mean, coffee <laughs> has has probably the widest number of uh, of different flavors of any product out there. But those fruits themselves aren't very fruit-like. You wouldn't eat them by themselves, would you? I mean, uh, they I mean, they tend to be a little on the bitter side, yeah, but you know, say, yeah. depending on where they are and where they're growing somewhere, actually have a bit of sweetness to them. Okay. 
Now, isn't this the apocryphal story that that goats ate these berries and got really excited, and that's what led humans to thinking, hmm, I, something about those berries that's important? Well, that's that's the Kaldi story, right? The Ethiopian uh, goat herder. But, right. but but there's actually a couple other different stories, and you know, it's who knows what the actual truth is. There was a Yemenite uh, Sufi mystic traveling in Ethiopia, and he observed some birds of uh, unusual vitality eating coffee cherries. <laughs> and when he tried, and when he tried the cherries, he ex- he experienced the same thing. And then there's another story about a guy named Omar who uh, was kicked out of Mocha into a desert cave near uh, Osab, Arabia for some moral indiscretions. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they they started starving out, out in the desert, so they started chewing on these cherries, and uh, they found them bitter, so then they roasted these over, uh, over a fire to try to improve the flavor, but they were too hard. So then they tried to boil them to soak, uh, soften the beans, and the fragrant brown liquid that they ended up with was... What we now know as coffee. You know, those three stories are so anti-magical that you know, if they were older, they would, they would, there would be some magic in there in those myths, don't you think? There would be like, you know, and then this magic fire breathing, whatever. I I, I, I'm sure at some point those stories were probably related that way, though. <laughs> but the, and we're not talking that long ago. They, they'd say it's only 15th century that you first see coffee. That's right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's relatively recent. Right and and all and all origin out of uh, Arabia Yemen areas, you know, obviously an Arabic area because the the original name of coffee morphed from uh, an Arabic word uh, kawa, mm. which was a truncation of kawat al bun, which literally means wine of the bean. I uh, mm. I apologize for my pronunciation of Arabic. I'm sure it's horrible. Mm. Nice, but generally speaking, the process is the same. You grow the plant, you let the berries get ripe. Then you dry them and you ship green beans. Exactly. How does the listener get the best coffee they can possibly get? Coffee is uh, is a product that degrades over time. So you want to get the freshest coffee you can get. You want? Well, how do we do? I mean, is well, you kick it at your supermarket, or we get we run the risk of getting gen, moldy coffee? Or gen, I mean, generally, the coffee that you find in a supermarket is you know it's a supply chain. Mm. So that's going to be sitting in a warehouse. It's going to be on trucks. It's going to be exposed to various degrees of heat, and all all that degrades coffee. It's it's really time sensitive. So for for the the listener out there the, my best advice would be find a local roaster and buy your coffee from them okay and and you can ask them about the supply chain where do you get it absolutely you know, if they're you know not because i want to steal your business or whatever just i want to know where my coffee comes from and do you guys post that information at your store um, we have that information available. We used to have it posted up in our old store, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, we've, we've actually got it in a book mm-hmm. where, you know, if somebody wants to sit down and, and read it all about coffee and everything we know about it, we actually have a, a notebook where we pulled all that stuff together. But definitely getting pre-roasted beans means that it's not going to be fresh. I mean, if you go, you get it from a roaster, you know, it's going to be fresh right right well yeah. g- generally i mean uh, usually well, a micro- yeah, i guess that's the question how badly does the beans age when they're green uh, they you know they're they're more stable than they are once they're roasted but right. obviously we, that's the one thing we try to do is buy coffee within the season that it's it's ready um, coffee, you know, has certain months where it's been picked and then it's ready for shipping and you want to get it basically within those months. It's usually like a three month time span, mm. depending on the, the varietal of coffee that you're talking about. So, and that's so one in of the that ideal case. Are we talking about beans that were picked two months ago and roasted that day? Um, two months is probably a fair, uh, representation of that timeline. Two to two to okay. three two to three months. Hmm. And and typical, you know, sort of supermarket type coffee. Are we, is it much older than that? Is it a year old? All, all bets off. Yeah, there, there's really, <laughs> the, really, there. It's a, again, it's a commodity. It depends on how much money they have to make for their shareholders for that quarter. So the right. more money they have to make, the further back they're going to go. You know, the beans are going to be maybe a year, two years old. Who knows? 
All right, but it's, I really want to dig into this roasting process because I, I think that's got to be the cornerstone of all of this. It can be. The bean selection is is the critical thing. Okay. And 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 does region really matter that much? Is can, can you tell the difference between where the bean was grown? Generally, you can. You can, and you can you can generally tell what process was used on the beans. Again, like right. I like I mentioned, the the natural has more of a rustic type of uh, flavor to it, whereas the washed will be more of a clean. But there are also different types of roasting that can impact that as well. And are, are there different species of coffee bean as well? Oh yeah, there's there's uh, there's hundreds of different types of coffee, um, huh. and you know it, it's really a personal preference. As to what you know, it's it's like anything else. It's like a wine. Some people like Merlots. Some mm-hmm. some people like Cabernets. It's the same way with coffee. There's different flavor mm-hmm. notes that are inherent in those varietals of coffee. And and are these different plants grown be- based on region, or is it literally just a style thing? Uh, it's it is regional. They they've found that certain types of coffee do w- better in certain types of soil in different altitudes. Uh, right. there, I don't know if you've, have you ever heard of a coffee called geisha? No. Well, nope. th- this, this is a coffee that uh, has set the record for the uh, per pound price. Uh, it's gone well over a hundred dollars for a pound. And uh, it was completely an accident how this coffee came into being. Um, it was, it was brought to a, uh, uh, coffee plantation, and they planted it, and they found that it, the the production on it was very sparse, and the coffee wasn't very good. So the farmer actually took it up to a higher elevation and just planted some on a whim. And uh, a few years later, he remembered that he planted this coffee and uh, went up and harvested it during the season. Came down, roasted, and found out that he had the most amazing coffee ever. Mm. And it was all due to the altitude that was grown in the the terroir of that particular soil. Wow. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, It must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to pick my cherries, roast my seeds, and grind my beans. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) No, it's time to give away a D-Experience collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who the winner is... Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired app or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner today? Today's winner is Paul Barnard. Congratulations, Paul. Golf clap for you, sir. Paul just won the D-Experience subscription from DevExpress. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away stuff from our sponsors, like DevExpress. And every December, we give away $5,000 of hand-picked technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And uh, we like to ask our guests, this is kind of weird, Hugh, if you had $5,000 today to spend on technology, and any kind of technology, not just developer technology, but any kind of tech, what would you buy? Uh, at this point, I think I would be putting that money into my war chest to replenish my music supply for this uh, new player that I'm getting in October called the uh, Pono. What's Pono. Uh, Pono is a music player that uh, has been brought forward by the uh, the '70s classic rock musician Neil Young. I shouldn't I shouldn't pin him down to that. Oh, he's, Neil Young, he's yeah. an epic legend. Pono, yeah, and he uh, he became very frustrated with uh, the quality of music and uh, got together a company that developed this player. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it very, uh, very anxiously. Ponomusic.com. The heart of music needed a kickstart. 
Pono means righteous. It's a Hawaiian word, the one, the pureness. On behalf of Pono, we thank you for helping us give music a voice. So, so it looks like they did a Kickstarter for this player. Yeah, and they did pretty well. What is so great about this player? Uh, the, the quality. It's 192 kilohertz. Oh, is it MP3? Oh, it's, it blows MP3 away. Okay. Like, like I said. You, so it's a different format from MP3. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Love it. Thanks. Sure. Cool. Yeah, very cool. So you were talking about the different kinds of coffee, and, and I'm struck by one thing that I didn't know about coffee until I started hanging out at Bean and Leaf was that the blonde coffee is, has actually more caffeine than the dark roast coffee. Is that true? That can be true. It depends on the varietal, obviously. Um, the, the thing about roasting the coffee to a lighter level has more to do with preserving the, the flavors. Okay. Um, what, what's happened to coffee over the last 10 years or so, uh, is the, uh, the mermaid, uh, the mermaid situation. Uh, I, I won't mention the name, but everybody knows about the mermaid, I'm sure. The mermaid. And they, yes. they tend to, uh, they tend to roast their coffee very dark. Yeah. And I, I can't say with 100% certainty why they do that, but I, I have a theory, which I'll, I'll pass along. Um, what, what you do when you're roasting coffee is you're converting the sugars. Mm-hmm. And when you take the coffee to a higher roast level, you're actually turning that sugar into carbon. Mm. And you get that sort of burnt carbony taste, which a lot of that particular coffee uh, tends to have. That's that's the predominant uh, um, flavor that yeah. that people relate with that. And my my theory is that is done because it allows them to buy cheaper coffee, because all coffee, the, the all green coffee has sugar in it. You know, the the bean right. itself contains sugar, and there's good flavor notes in that sugar, and there are less good flavor notes. And when you uh, when you take that to the level that they roast, it really doesn't matter because you're just producing that carbon flavor. My theory. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, roasting it dark sort of forgives a bunch of sins of the quality of the bean in the first place. Exactly. And it seems to have worked very well for them. They're They're doing okay. Is Hawaii the only state in the U.S. where coffee is grown? It it is. Um, there there have been attempts to grow coffee in in other states, but they've, they've pretty much failed miserably. Hmm. Uh, obviously, uh, protectorates uh, Puerto Rico um, they grow coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some good reports. We've tried to get Puerto Rican coffee, and it's never been the quality has never been that great. Hmm. Does that mean you're not you just don't have access to the best beans there, or all the coffee grown there is just not that good? Well, I can't. I can't really. I I wouldn't be able to comment on that because we obviously we, we don't have access to all of it. But the the stuff we yeah. have got, um, we actually know a guy who owns a small coffee plantation down there, and he was supposed to source us some good Puerto Rican coffee. The stuff we got, uh, just it didn't measure up. Hmm. Interesting. Well, because you get you actually got to assess the bean when it gets there. But if somebody's locked up all the sales of their best, their top product ahead of time, there's not a lot you can do. Well, that that's true. But I I think the Puerto Rican issue is, is more of altitude. They don't have the altitude. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, re- the the really top notch quality uh, coffee is usually grown over five thousand feet in elevation. Hmm. Right. So that really limits where you're going to grow good coffee. So, I mean, you've got to have high altitude, and then you still have to have that sort of tropical environment yeah, as well. Yeah, you've got to be in Wet that tropical. And- yeah, you've got to be in that belt that has the, the right microclimate. Well, and looking at the stats here, it makes sense to me that Brazil grows an astronomical amount of coffee just because it has the right terrain. Right. Brazil and also Colombia does, uh, does a pretty good business in coffee. You know, there's an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. No tea or tomato juice. You'll see no potato juice because the planters down in Santos, they say, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't know if you know that song. There's actually a song called the Coffee Song. Right? Yeah. There's an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. 
Is there a perfect roasting process? Like, do you should you roast a bean to a particular level, or is that specific to the bean? It's very specific to the bean. You have to actually – there are different levels of ramp. That is, when you roast the coffee, you take the, the temperature up at a certain rate, and different beans respond differently to that rate. So you really have to know the beans that you're roasting to, to attain that. It takes some experimentation. It's It's an art. And and is it repeatable at scale? So when I mean, you do this micro roast where you're testing out a new bean, once you get it perfect, are you able to scale that sufficiently for it to make sense for a, a whole bag? Well, what what we're looking for when we do that that little sample roast is just there. We roast it very lightly, more uh, lightly than we would when we actually roast it for um, consumption, and that mm. that allows a lot of the the nuanced flavors of the coffee to come out. And then once we've determined that that coffee is going to be adequate for our needs, then we have to actually experiment in our full-size roaster. Where does the 400-degree thing come in? Because I've heard that you want to roast it to 400 degrees. Well, and again, that's going to be very dependent on the type of coffee that you're roasting and Mm -hmm. and where it's from. Um, the there's there's moisture levels within coffee. We've been pretty lucky that you know most of our coffee comes in at the same moisture level, um, so that's not much of a factor. But again, it's it's more where the bean has come from, the the varietal of the bean, and that that 400 degree number is probably a little low. Um, we're generally into the 420 range at mm-hmm. our lower end, um, and that's for what like what kinds of coffee work at that level um mo- most coffees actually will work fine at that level but again it's how you get there yeah okay. do, you, do you get there quickly do you get there slowly Got you know, it. It, it, it's really the the ramp of that temperature and it's that, probably because the density of that bean isn't it the density the moisture content mm. uh, yeah all right here's here's one for you hugh What's your favorite coffee? In other words, you know, where's your favorite coffee come from? Natural Yurgachev, which is, you know, obviously one of the first coffees the humans ever consumed. Yurgachev. How do you spell that? (laughs) Uh, I'm a horrible speller. Y-I-R-G-C-H-E-F-F-E. You are absolutely right. Thanks. Yurgachev. Now, where is that? Yurgachev is in Ethiopia. Okay. What's so special to you about Yurgachev coffee? It just has all the all the flavors and nuances that I look for in coffee. It's just it's what I think of when I think of a good cup of coffee. And you can give me, you know, Kona, you can give me Jamaican Blue Mountain that everybody raves over. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll take Yurgachev. A well-roasted Yurgachev is the best. What about the civet coffee? The the coffee that the civet cats oh, God. eat and then poop out? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not a fan. <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's not just a, a you know thinking about it and where it came from. It's just you know I've tried it and it's it's definitely got a unique flavor, but it just for what you have to pay for it, it makes no sense. It's just it's I'm astronomically sorry. expensive. Oh, it's crazy. That's just ridiculous. I want something that's been not, didn't have to go through a cat. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're basically, it's just pre-cooking, really, is what you, I mean, you know. Well, I, it's, I, I'm sure the digestive tract of that animal is adding some type of uh, flavor compounds. Or whatever. But oh, not, nothing that I need. Nope. No problem there. But, you, you know, there is this game played by certainly these big coffee companies as well about branding and about style. The same game that you get into with scotch and wine and, mm. and any other relatively luxury product where you create a cachet, but it, how it tastes is a totally secondary thing. Right. Sadly. Now. Well, and, and you got to wonder, like, maybe you just had badly roasted civet coffee. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what's the price they're talking about? Uh, 700 bucks a kilo for it? Are you kidding me? It's insane. All right. That's enough of that. Hey, let's talk decaf because we all know that there is some caffeine in decaf coffee. But I I, um, have taken to making my coffee half decaf. 
I never drink full strength. And the reason is, I love coffee so much. I like to drink a lot. And, you know, if I'm drinking full strength caffeine all day long, it's just wigs me out. You can definitely be bouncing off the walls. Yeah. So uh, I highly recommend that to anyone who really, really loves coffee, just cut it with some with some decaf. And you're not going to, you know, if you're if you find yourself bouncing off the walls, just cut it and you can drink more. And, you, and you'll be very surprised at how good a, a nice natural decaf tastes. It's, That's it's right. Su- it's surprisingly good. Yeah, it is surprisingly good. And you still, get, you still get your caffeine because you're drinking it over more over time. So just, you know, find out how much you can stand taking off, right? And another good technique is to, uh, you know, start, start the day with half decaf and then just slowly wean it down to all decaf if you're if you find yourself bouncing completely what is the decaffeination process involve i mean it always seemed weird to me how they could remove caffeine from beans without removing any flavor well there's there's a couple ways that they do it there's a there's a chemical process which we we tend to avoid and then there's the swiss water process and I couldn't actually get down and tell you the exact process, mm. but it's it's a very natural process that doesn't add anything to the bean, and really is uh, caffeine is very water soluble, so the the process is basically playing upon that and using the the water to extract the caffeine. Yeah, maybe we'll find a, a link to the Swiss water process and put that up there for people who want to do some more research. But uh, do you, when you get your beans from your distributor, do you get them already decaffeinated, or do you guys have to do that at your store? No, no. When when you buy decaffeinated coffee, it's coming that way from mm. from the supplier, and the bag will be labeled as such. Swiss Swiss water process, and and in our case, the added uh, fair trade organic. Very good. How and, much? And so they're still green beans, but they've actually had the caffeine removed. Yes. Yes. Now, if wow, if you see amazing. the, you can actually tell the difference between them and regular beans. They aren't quite as green; they they're they're more of a yellowish color because of that mm-hmm. process. The, now, I've and I've guess, I've seen the ones done with a chemical process, and they they just don't look too good. <laughs> now, Hugh, that's fair. Hugh, what if you're listening and say you have no coffee roasters in your area maybe you live in you know some place in podunk or whatever where there's no place where you can get that can you buy a micro roaster and order up your own green beans from a do you have to get them from a distributor or is there are there places where you can get them absolutely and the place i would recommend if people want to try this is a a company called sweet maria's Mm mm-hmm uh, they have excellent coffee. They do an excellent job of uh, vetting the coffee. Uh, they've got very good descriptions of the coffee on their uh, on their website, and they also uh, will sell you a, a small roaster. Sweet Marias dot com is a cake company. Sweet Marias dot com is a home coffee roasting supplies company. That's so it. That's the one. That's the one. All right. Very good. Yeah, so that that's the missing link right there. If you don't have yourself a, a bean and leaf in your town, and let's face it, I mean, there's I've been all over this United States, and coffee roasters like yours are are few and far between. Well, thank you, Carol. Yeah, Hugh, any thoughts on these green coffee products? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you; I really haven't done much with them. I, I really don't. Are you talking about like the the health uh, supplements? There's the health supplements. I think the couple of the big the big mermaid chains got some kind of weird green coffee thing. I mean, I just don't drink the stuff. But yeah, you're talking I, about the extract, right? Green coffee bean extract for. So yeah, that's, that's I'm, the health food product. But then there's also been you know the other companies starting to put out green coffee products i just can't imagine this is good yeah, yeah. I, I i'm a little dubious of it and i i tend to stay away from all all these supplements that are out there over time they always prove to be uh you know a fallacy hmm. so i guess sweet maria's is has green coffee green unroasted coffee but i guess that's for for you know for do, that's what you buy right exactly yeah, yeah. you don't you, you don't grind it before you roast it right 
Heck, you don't ride, you, you try not to grind it at all if you can get away with it. Minimal hmm. damage to the bean, right? Well, yeah. you, you obviously have to grind it before you brew it. You have to grind it properly as well. Now, when you say properly, are you a fan of burr grinders? I am a huge fan of burr grinders. There, yeah. there are basically two kind of grinders out there. There's the burr grinder, and then there's the little whirly bird type grinder, which basically pulverizes it. And, yeah. the, and the reason that that is no good is when you're brewing coffee, you want water flowing through the entire pack of coffee at the same time. Mm. And when you pulverize it, you end up with very small particles, medium-sized particles, big particles. Well, water takes the path of least resistance, and it's going to find channels through the coffee and what's going to end up is it's going to be either horribly underbrewed, horribly overbrewed, but it'll never be brewed consistently. And what a burr grinder does is it actually shaves off pieces of the coffee and do very, you know, depending on the quality of the grinder, um, very similar size particles. And that allows the water to travel through the entire coffee pack at the same time. And you get a, a nice, consistent brew every time. So, I mean, it's important to have consistent contact with the beans. Do you see any particular brewing process do you like? I, I've always been a fan, not that, again, not that I drink coffee, but of watching these vacuum coffee makers using this sort of siphon effect. Yeah, va vacuum coffee, coffee. Vacuum coffee makers are very cool. They, they make a great cup of coffee. I'm a big fan of the Chemex. That makes a great cup of coffee. I'm also a fan of this thing called an Aeropress uh, made by the Aerobee company that makes a little flying disc uh, toys. And uh, they make a, a beautiful little travel uh, coffee maker called the uh, Aeropress. It's uh, relatively inexpensive, uh, makes a fantastic cup of coffee. You can actually make espresso with it. I'll tell you, the uh, the coffee we're drinking right now today, Hugh, was made by the Cuisinart Grind and Brew 12-Cup Coffee Maker, which if you go to tinyurl.com slash Carl's Coffee Maker, no apostrophe, of course, Carl's Coffee Maker, That'll take you to that. And it's a combination burr grinder and maker with, you know, an alarm. It has strength control. And uh, I just, I've been using this thing for years and I love it. And I, and I will attest to the fact that it makes a great cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, what about the French press? My wife's a big French press fan. Yeah, the French press is another great way to make coffee. Um, I would recommend if you're going to buy a French press to get a stainless steel one, like the uh, Bodum. They make uh, a model called the Columbia. There's a couple other models, depending on the volume of the coffee you want to make. But the fact that it's stainless steel uh, means it's much more durable. The, the typical French press that's out there has a, a glass component to it, and they invariably end up broken. Right. So, yeah, it's all, um, all important part of the process. Uh, the, you know, my experience with coffee is largely coffee contamination of tea equipment. So, in fact, I have a cup of tea here provided by the hotel that I'm currently in that clearly had some coffee in some part of it sometime. So all I can taste is really sour coffee, no tea at all. Right. So they probably aren't using um, a product which uh, removes the coffee oils from their their brewing equipment, which right. is a, which is a very important thing if you if you're in the business. Actually, having clean equipment. Yes. Yes. Here's another one for you. Go to tinyurl.com/carlssiphonmaker. S i p h o n maker. <clears throat> this will bring you to the Yama Glass 5-Cup Tabletop Ceramic 20-Ounce Siphon with Butane Burner. I own one of those as well. A wonderful device. Oh, my God. This is so awesome. And, Richard, you've seen this, right? So yeah. we saw this when we were out to dinner at uh, in, in Australia, actually. And they brought around this thing. And I, saw, I, I was so enamored with it, I went and got them as Christmas presents for all my friends. It's 152 bucks, but it's great. And basically what it is, is it's uh, three parts to it, a burner, a butane burner on the bottom, a coffee pot, and then uh, there's this part on the top that's sort of like a, a, a container for a glass container that has a filter uh, that in a stem that goes down below, and the filter is held in place with a spring that attaches to the bottom of the stem with a little hook. And then you put the coffee inside of that container and the water in the pot. And then as it boils, 
the pressure pushes the water up the stem through the filter into the pot where it percolates. And like a French press, you use that coarse-grained coffee, burr-ground, of course. And it per- percolated coffee is great because, you know, it just boils in there and gets all the coffee out. But the problem with French press is the grit. So the filter takes care of that. As you turn the burner off and it cools down, the, f- the coffee goes back down into the pot. So you get all that, the, the richness of the French press coffee without the grit. Right. You, you actually want to stir the coffee that's up in the, the top container of that mm-hmm. to, to agitate it. Ah, very good. Just like in a French press, right? When right. You, when Exa- you, exactly the same. When you pour the water in, you stir it up. Right. And then let it sit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when it's boiling and bubbling, doesn't that move the coffee around enough or do you still have to stir it? It does, but sometimes the co- there'll be pockets of dry coffee. Wow. It, it gets it, – it forms a, a crust of damp coffee around the dry coffee and doesn't do a full immersion. Hmm. So you have to stir it to make sure that you get a nice uh, – Nice coating. Well, my wife was very impressed when uh, I bought this thing and she thought it was just a geek toy. And then I bought a case of butane. She says, what on earth do you need all that butane for? And then we lost power for a week. And she was very, very much in love with me. They also, you could make coffee. <laughs> yeah. They also uh, have a little alcohol burner on some of the models that works quite well. You use 91% alcohol. Neat. Yeah, it burns, burns very cleanly and uh, does a great job. So I highly recommend this if you want to impress your friends at a dinner party. Just pull this thing out. It looks like a little science experiment. We call it the hookah. It's a great show. Yeah, it is a great show. <laughs> Making coffee into a show. And I, and I like the glass components because you can get them really clean. Yeah, you can. It seems a lot of the other coffee makers and things, lots of plastic and stuff, it's really tough to get them clean. And it's plastic, right? Which has its own problems. So, uh, Hugh, I think that's a show. Is there anything else that you want to tell us that we missed? Uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything, Carl. It was a fantastic uh, time here, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, we appreciate you coming on and telling us all about coffee. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.